0: Welcome, everybody, to an episode of the Gameology Podcast. We are talking all about board games. I am one of your hosts, Matthew Falvey, and I am with... Attila Gabriel Brineski. Now, Gabriel, why did we want to talk about board games? Because when you first mentioned this to me, I thought, board games? That's not video games. And then I thought, are we running out of topics that fast? But then I thought there's a lot of crossover, really, obviously, in between them. There are rules. You can be competitive. You can play cooperative before there were video game nerds. I'm sure there were board game nerds and there will continue to be board game nerds. Oh, there
1: are. Yeah. Like I'm pretty sure there's even a a very well-known website like called Board Game Geek that like reviews and talks about and rates, um, different board games. Uh, sit up and shut down is a,
0: no, shut up and sit down is a great one as well. If uh, you're looking for board games. So like what, why exactly do you want to bring this up? And where do you want to start?
1: Well, on a, a sort of almost bi-weekly basis, I'm attending an event at Gamma Space called Games with Friends. And at their Play Games with Friends event, they would bring uh, a lot of board games. People would bring them in, and that means that I get to try way more board games than I normally would, just because, you know, unless somebody in your circle of friends has a board game, and then it's a matter of trying to find the time to coordinate with them and like when do you actually get enough people to play it. Attending this event at Gamma Space means that um, there's always plenty of people available to try a new game. And when you're playing that many board games, it really quickly sort of comes to the surface of, like, which games are sort of easy to get into and are fun to get into, um, at least for my personal preference. Um, But I think there are some pretty universal rules that... um, definitely help in making a board game accessible to first-time players. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if you just contrast it with the way we play video games, um, I was always of the mindset that if I got a new game, the very first thing I did was, like, crack open the manual and read all the way through it. Um, On the the ride home (laughs) from the store. Pretty much, yeah. Uh, It was just about, like, knowing everything there was about the game before I got into it. And it just... I guess certain, uh, like, consoles sort of favored manuals over others. Like, Nintendo kept strong with their game manuals. I know a lot of people hold up, like, the Ocarina of Time manual as this, like, beautiful inclusion of, like, game artwork and stuff that really helped to immerse you in the game back before the graphics could really um, uh, fill in for imagination.
0: And, And also a lot of the things that were in the instructions were just because they weren't putting that on the screen. Like, when you played Super Mario 1 or whatever there you didn't have a waypoint indicator telling you where to go and there wasn't a lot of text explaining things mm-hmm. so you would read up and you would learn the names of the enemies and yeah
1: they would fill in all that lore yeah exactly like there's at no point in the game would it reference the fact that a like um actually it in the credit sequence does it say it sometimes i know in some games they would say it almost like a like a roll call of like what the different enemies are called
0: yeah i think that definitely mario 3 and maybe Mario Two because Mario Three they were going for that. This is a play. Mm-hmm. The whole thing is a play. So these are all actors. Don't worry that you're murdering thousands of them.
1: <laughs> but um, in, uh, in 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 board games and in video games, you have this idea that even if there's like a, a token in a board game, um, in the manual there might be like a big image of it. That says like, oh, this token represents this like monster or whatever, and it might have like a much more elaborate illustration in the manual than it could possibly represent with the token. And the same thing with the game, it might have a very fantastic illustration of what like a very simple sprite looks like, and it gives your imagination kind of a jumping off point mm-hmm. for saying like, okay, this represents this. It's actually a very um, crucial um, one of the sort of lenses of game design. If you've read the Art of Game Design. Um, one of the ideas is this, um, the, the sense of like giving the imagination a a starting point, um, and understanding that this icon represents something that is like much bigger and much more stupendous. But then, you know, if you get just like one big still frame of a bad guy, um, and then all the animations play out on something much more simplified, your brain can use that large, um, fantastic image that would take way too much time and effort to animate as a sort of jumping off point for imagining what all the little things that the icon is performing
0: yeah in a way you're sort of deconstructing reorganizing and changing um what makes novels so great or comic books in a way you're just sort of combining that art of like description the imagination and then and then sort of playing
1: playing out that uh the story that way yeah so it when, when a game can't necessarily afford to Um, paint in all the details. And sometimes it's unnecessary. Sometimes you want the player to be, like, filling details in with their imagination. And both um, traditional games and um, board games, I guess board games are kind of the more traditional games, both video games and board games um, sort of play off this in different ways. Um, But as I sort of started to say earlier, as we went on in time, video games started to rely less and less on uh, their manuals. To the point of like not even including them nowadays. Like you just you you're it's just expected that everything is taught in an interactive fashion in the game. Whereas with board games you can't really avoid that. It's a, a I've seen some board games that like offer online tutorials like hey check out a, an example of this being played on our website and that kind of thing. But you have to include this external element to the game. There's never a way that. Um, and i guess if you have like a board game that includes like a little sound chip that you have to like plug batteries into it or something and it could or or if 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 you just they gave you a
0: die and they made it real simple and almost mysterious and they said roll the die go that many spaces and then if say everywhere you every you land on a blue space you take a blue card and if it mm-hmm. explained it right in there with yeah. no other explanation that could be like more of an intuitive way of doing it where you're sort of finding
1: your way through this game yeah and that's exactly what i um because exactly the conclusion that i came to when i was looking at all these different games is anytime that the core rule set was really simple anytime it was just this idea of roll a die go x many spaces draw a card and then additional game rules are on that card exactly then it becomes super accessible because you only need to know like a couple lines or a couple separate rules of like you know, turn order and um, which cards to draw when you land on which spaces. But if you have like corresponding symbols of like you land on the star space and you draw a star card, you land and on. And you a could blue even space. write that
0: instruction right on the space. Yeah, I mean, you exactly. could really have it there, mm-hmm. and that I would assume that's the goal because there's nothing that kills the momentum of a games night more than having to sit down and go through the rules. You find out who's the stickler for the rules. Yeah. You find out who can't read. <laughs> and. Uh, I mean, I, I, I like to be able to take liberties too sometimes with rules once you really understand a game as well, but yeah, it's, you can lose that momentum.
1: Mm-hmm. It's definitely something that, um, a lot of computerized versions of board games have made the board games better just because like they, they keep on top of all the rules for you and then you just blaze through the game itself because you're, you you do not have to be doing any of the number crunching. You don't have to keep tallies of like resources and all these kinds of things, um, you lose the social element of the game. Like, sometimes you have a game that the social aspect is what makes it so interesting. Sure, Monopoly, Settlers of Catan, Risk. Well, Yeah, I mean, a lot of those games, even if you're using a computer to interface with them, um, as long as the players are still talking to each other um, like in a room and you 're just using the computer as like the the number keeper like okay, the tally I set gotcha. then it doesn 't those don 't really lose anything because you still have the the human aspect of it i 'm talking more about games um like cockroach poker or masquerade, and these are games which are both about like social deception and like really reading players faces. It would be much more difficult to represent that on a computer to the point of it almost not even being worthwhile just because it's so much more natural to do that um when you're uh face to face over a table looking at each other um having the game tokens on the computer screen detracts from that Mm -hmm. so there are inherent strengths of a board game i feel that um you know everyone kind of gets this tactile sense for dice and cards and game tokens in a way that a keyboard or a mouse and a controller um all those input methods are abstractions of these uh simple like game pieces so that's why intrinsically a board game is something that like um almost anyone can get into very easily even um people who are not very like tech savvy or who don't usually play games just because they have this very low um IQ. input barrier <laughs> come on input barrier to entry
0: there it's it's fascinating how how good it feels to pick up a bunch of dice and roll them and how connected you feel as you shake them up you roll, you let your hand fly out and you watch mm-hmm. where it ends up and then i try to um compare that to the thought of just like pushing a button and watching a computer do it and it's yeah. there's a real disconnect there and uh And having yeah I mean that's just part of the fun with the with the physical games.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean especially when you have all different kinds of like fancy dice, you're playing something like Dungeons and Dragons, which I mean if you're gonna talk about barrier to entry, there's like a fifty page manual to get into that game, even just as a player, never mind as a dungeon master, the person who's actually responsible for um constructing the game for the players, basically acting like the computer would, keeping Tatlis on um, the hit points of monsters and all that kind of thing. The more um, complex a board game comes, the more it requires this sort of advanced rule-keeping, the more it's like, why not just make this a computer game anyway? A board game has these intrinsic strengths that really need to be taken advantage of and played up rather than just trying to take a uh, computer game and create a board game version of it in Mm -hmm. a sense and uh, that's where the idea of having like the rule cards and all that kind of stuff um, really helps because if you don't need to read a huge manual to get into the game and the only barrier to entry is just like roll this advance your guy this many spaces and then all the rules and the interconnection and the intricacies arise from uh, cards that are in the game. Then it it's just it's way easier to get into, and it's it's the easiest thing is to get into. the le- The more likely it is that people are going to start having fun with it.
0: Absolutely, yeah. You you want to remove that barrier of entry. You want to keep the excitement going on it. Now, uh, speaking of that, how do you feel about board games in terms of? length of time. One of the one of the reasons I would recommend Settlers of Catan to a lot of people mm-hmm. is that you could really get... If if everybody knew what they were doing, you can get through a game in less than an hour. I mean, you can sit down and have a quick session and you're done, as opposed to when uh, me and a friend g- bought Axis and Allies when we were young teenagers yeah. and thought this was going to be the greatest game ever and realized this is more work than
1: history class. Yeah, it takes Just... so long to get through some of these games. I think a lot of these games were designed... With like multi-hour, multi-day play sessions in mind deliberately for when people didn't have the sort of modern trappings of a fast-paced lifestyle of today with uh, all of our electronics and immediate response and immediate um, necessity for communication and all these kinds of things.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Where you're stuck. Yeah. Like this, you're going to need to bury your head in a game of risk for the weekend uh before the vegetable cart finally comes by to bring some food and it's but i mean we we spend the same amount of time say binge watching a season of something Mm -hmm. that you could play a game of risk in that time
1: you can but the there's a difference there's a huge difference between what you are personally willing to set aside like i have six hours right now getting that to line up with someone else's six hour window is incredibly difficult you know just everyone's like working um odd hours um you know, it depends on where you are in your life. If you're, if you're a kid, if you're a teenager, you know, take advantage of the spare time that you have right now, because you'll be lucky if you can scrape together a couple hours and a single evening of a week to play a session of Dungeons and Dragons.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And when you do have that little bit of time to turn on a video game system, because you haven't played it for a month, it mm. wants to update everything and yeah. bye-bye time. <laughs> you know, talking about it more, I feel like this is how they entertained kids. This is how they kept them busy. They wouldn't stick them in front of a TV. They're like, hey, kids, go play Risk.
1: No, oh, yeah, that's definitely. Don't
0: bother yeah. us for eight hours.
1: And I, I think that um, it, given the the less um, the fact that it's less likely that you'll have these huge time windows to play a game, it's all the more important that you're able to just like dive right in and start playing without having to read all these rules or even spend time refreshing the rules. Because if you have that huge like time barrier of like, okay, no, wait, hang on, we're going to spend twenty minutes reading the rules. It's like, well, I have to leave in like ten minutes.
0: Absolutely. So that's that's, that's what like board games going forward, I think if they want to sort of make a comeback, I think that if you integrate it as well into mobile phones, mm-hmm. where you assume that everybody's got a phone in their pocket, something simple, like if you go to the movie theater and you're, you're answering trivia and you're, everyone's sort of participating at the same time and you're jacked in and playing that. And that's kind of like a very simplistic sort of, I mean, you're not calling it a board game. It's mm-hmm. up on, it's like a screen game. So if you can have something like that, where everyone is, takes advantage of what we already have on us and, and lets the computers do the talking.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm sure the the board game manufacturers would love that. The idea is like, oh, you know, we used to just have to sell one board game. Now every player has to buy their own version of it so they can network together and basically just play an online game, Um, which is why I think that, like, couch co-op, sort of like one player at a time kind of games are really nice. Um, You definitely get way more design possibilities when you give players the chance to sort of interrupt on their opponent's turn when Mm. the a player does something and your opponent has an opportunity to respond to that action that works very well in real life and we're going to talk about this a bit more in our sort of episode on uh, trading card games and collectible card games Um, but that works terribly in uh, a computer game because you you have to sort of break everything up into all these like micro turns where every single possible action that a player does can be interrupted, and that is a major weakness of like computer games and a major strength of board games is the, the the flow of like you're trying to do something, and then somebody says, "No, wait, no, you don't. I trigger this or I activate this card that I have um and I interrupt what you were trying to do
0: right I, I, trying to do that in any kind of a real time sense, mm-hmm. but in a way, I mean, if you're playing like a a fighting game, is that not interrupting each other? i'm going to go for a dragon punch and you counter it with a fireball.
1: Right. No, it's definitely much more of a, when, when you try to create a digital version of a card game, that's when this, the failure can occur. So like I said, we'll talk a bit more about that sure. when we're talking about card games specifically. Um, but one of the, the core strengths of uh, board games is their social nature. Like, you know, what what kind of board game are you playing that's just like a one player? It's going to be at least two player, right? Absolutely, yeah. Two, and I'd say the majority time like four, Mm -hmm. four or more. Yeah, and that's sort of like the average atomic family size of the atomic age. Atomic family, I think it's a different thing. Um, Yeah, just the idea of like, you know, how do you manage like turn length and... You know, are are players like still in the game or not? That's why something like Settlers of Catan is, in my opinion, a much better game than Monopoly, just because everyone's in it to the end. Right. Um, Exactly. It it might not necessarily be that everyone has a chance of winning. Like some player might be clearly in the lead, but the game ends when one person wins. It's not this like slow and brutal process of knocking one player out at a time, like risk or Monopoly are.
0: Right. I mean, Monopoly is. I think most people have memories of someone being a jerk mm-hmm. and then also uh, you mentioned this on another episode yeah. of this uh way well a kingmaker yeah where, exactly you know and that can be a big problem where you're, you're kind of generating some like negative feelings on it however that does go into the side of this being uh it's a social interaction mm-hmm. and part of that social uh negotiation yeah. becomes a part of the gameplay
1: yeah and that's where you know the the rules of the game you to trade things in Monopoly, and that's why I was saying you're not losing anything by taking it into a, a digital space, because in a digital space, you can still initiate a trade for all my stuff for a dollar. Mm-hmm. And that's you're still performing that sort of king-making kind of thing, where like you if you're like burnt out of the game, and then what, what are the other players supposed to do? Like I, I remember this was an issue when I was uh, trying out King of Tokyo, which is a, another board game that I tried at Gamma Space. And it looked kind of fun when I saw a video of it online, but when I tried it myself, I realized, like, oh, um, a couple turns went by, and I didn't have the best of luck, and now I'm just out of the game. Do I just sit here for the rest of the 15 minutes while I wait for everyone else to finish? Or what would what?
0: be nice is if they had some sort of losing condition where you maybe take on another role, mm-hmm. and you're able to, I don't know, become a ghost of some kind, yeah. and uh, and can either help or hinder in that way you you can become a kingmaker again, but mm-hmm. just to have some sort of participation. I think it's it's designed suicide to knock people out. I mean Monopoly does it and it's still a pretty damn popular
1: game. Yeah, some reason. I I, I don't I don't uh there's there's so many problems with Monopoly that I just it, it astonishes me that it, it's still as popular as it is. But I, I think that as time and expectations move on, either uh, you know, Parker Brothers is gonna have to refactor Monopoly and make a new kind of game based on similar mechanics and with the same name, but it's not going to like monopoly classic is going to splinter off and be its own thing for the old generation. But I just don't think, you know, modern expectations and modern, um, like session length expectations are going to allow for a game like monopoly to be as popular as it once was. You think so? I mean,
0: do you not think that over all this time, people haven't been saying like, Oh, I mean, it was, there was a long time ago when people were like saying that reading books were terrible and mm-hmm. comic books were terrible and TV was killing attention span. And are we the old people saying like, oh, well now it's really bad. I mean, with, with phones. and No,
1: I mean, I still think there's going to be like the, the family trip up to the cottage where we have nothing else to do like, especially if it starts, if it's, you're at the cottage and it's raining, what else are you going to do but crack open the Monopoly game? You know, but the, it could,
0: it definitely could be improved in a way that I haven't. There, I went through phases of Monopoly. There's something about it where it's kind it's of like an addictive nature to it. You get sucked into that colorful square that goes around and around. But now, I think once I discovered Settlers of Catan, I realized this is the fun parts of Monopoly, mm-hmm. but we're all playing. It's way shorter, and you still have the social aspect of it, but there's a lot less to really think about, too. You're not like making sitting there making change. I mean, a lot of Monopoly is kind of busy work.
1: Exactly, yeah. I, I think that... Um... Any any game that it is striving to be like fun and keep everyone interested should should not have, have tax. Oh God, no! Um, it should either um, have incredibly short session length. Um, in like in in a lot of video games, I've seen a kind of controlled session length where it's like a four player free for all game, and as players start to die and dwindle out, there's a maximum sh- session length um, in a given battle. So that if only two players are remaining, they have like 30 seconds before like some sort of sudden death condition triggers and just like kills both players and advances to the next round. That's okay because, you know, even if it means that a couple people are sort of knocked out for a little bit of the time, it's never so long. It's usually just 30 seconds at most. And
0: you're also um, making this condition come in that makes everything heightened and mm-hmm. a little more exciting.
1: Yeah. So that that's a, a decent way of handling things. Um, another great way is either the idea of like first loser or first winner Mm -hmm. Um, like cockroach poker is a game where if you start with a hand of cards and if you run out of cards it can't play you lose and therefore you're the first loser, game's over and similarly um, the idea of like the first winner that I already sort of mentioned with the settlers of Catan example where one player wins, you don't have to keep playing for second because once only two people are involved in the game um probably a lot of the resources have been consumed in the game um probably the board is set in such a state that it might be very difficult for the remaining people to um continue playing so ending the session and keeping it so that everyone is always engaged i think that's a really great way of constructing a um a board game just because board games are so social by nature um that you you want to be having that level of accommodation for people it doesn't as much matter when you're creating like a competitive online game because if you're logging on to an online community odds are somewhere in the world there's going to be enough people playing at the same time as you so if you get knocked out for an extended period of time or something uh, if you're looking for a certain number of people to play with you at the same time, there are going to be people there. Mm-hmm. But in a board game where people have made time to set aside for this, you better be making your best effort to make sure all players are included in that experience.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and if you can keep the sessions short enough so that if, if like, uh, I'm thinking of Cranium, mm-hmm. which I still don't understand how they didn't get sued by every other game that they ripped off, but uh in a long game like that mm-hmm. it can become really apparent where like you are going to lose there's yeah. no way to come back and now you spend the next half of this being resentful towards your uh, partner yeah. maybe your girlfriend because you guys aren't just understanding each other during the pictionary section whereas if you know if you play a game that's quite short mm-hmm. and you lose really quickly and it's well it's only like five more minutes into the next one and then i have another opportunity to get back in and i think yeah it keeps um, the momentum up and it keeps everybody looking forward to the next round.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I think that, I don't know, it, it's kind of difficult. as like, wh- where do you si- decide that the, like the handbrake comes in and you you slow things down and you don't cater to the increasing pace of society versus where do you just accept that that's the way things are going? And it's probably best to increase the, the pace or the session. Length well, of the board well,
0: games? An interesting thing about monopoly is that it's quite long, but mm. Uh, it has a tendency where you're not really sure who's in the lead for quite a while. I mm-hmm. mean, you can go a couple of times around the board and then it's it's not until the pieces start falling into place where yeah. you, you realize. So if if you want this kind of like ignorance is bliss kind of feeling where you're not really quite sure what's going on and you just go around and, around, and that's a good way to make a longer game more fun and engaging. Yeah.
1: And it's it's interesting because with, with Monopoly, there's no hidden information um you just sort of have like all the board kind of laid out for you and you can see what people have or don't have in catan settlers of catan there is some hidden information you can be holding victory points um like face down in your hand so it does sort of create that like air of like you're not sure who's going to win you're not sure how close someone is to winning
0: which keeps it engaging because when you're not playing you're watching somebody and trying to Analyze they played that, that means they probably have this
1: exactly. And that's why I uh, again, another reason that I think Settler's Catan is a better board game than Monopoly, um, is because it includes this uh hidden information. And not that I necessarily think that hidden information is necessary for creating a compelling board game, um, it does help, uh, the ability to sort of like have a secret that you're holding on to. Um, that other keeping track and trying to guess at the secrets that other people are holding on to, it really engages the social aspect of the board games um, that you're playing. And as I said, the, the social aspect of these games is one of their core strengths. So if you're playing off of that, if you're really keeping um, people in the idea of watching what other people are doing, their even their body language, just everything to do with like what are they doing? How are they concealing things? What are their motives and goals? That's something that translates much better in a face-to-face board game than it does in um, just an online game. And Now you really want me to, you've really got me to want to play a game of Fiddlers of Catan. <laughs>
0: we'll, we'll do it right after, we'll celebrate. Um, but, and also having that hidden win condition mm-hmm. means you could be really gleefully playing and thinking, everyone is, might be thinking like, I'm, I'm one turn away from winning. Yep. And then when it happens, it's this sudden sort of natural disaster. Someone comes in and swoops it up and it's like, no, actually you lose. And then it happens so quick mm-hmm. You were just, most of that was all fun. And if you're somebody that doesn't like to lose, it's such a, it really reduces the amount of time you have to feel like a loser.
1: Yeah, exactly. And in the same way that you said with Monopoly, like everything seems kind of up in there at the beginning and then the pieces start to kind of fall into place and then you know who's going to win. It's just this long and bitter, like, okay, fine, take all my money round over round. There's not a whole lot of swing in that game. Um, whereas with Settlers of Catan and the Hidden Information Again, a lot of it is Sounds
0: like an expansion pack.
1: <laughs> yeah, with with all the like the, the the hidden information in that game, as you said, people feel like they're in it to win it right up to the end. And then even if someone swoops in and they're like, I've done this, I was uh someone else was like really close to winning and then I just um there's a card in Settlers of Catan that um it's 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 called monopoly of all things right and it it decrees that everyone has to give you uh one oh, kind of resource the greatest double that's the the shadiest move you can do exactly and here's the here's the crazy thing right i i went up to someone and i said hey you want to trade me for that wheat you have and they're like nope and i'm like you have one wheat come on i'll trade you like five stone for it And they're like uh-uh and i'm like okay so i'm using monopoly <laughs> give me that one wheat and that there was it know. i needed that one wheat card and i won the game wow so it was just you know that that that's the kind of play that that's you're like it's like that...
0: nuking one soldier to win a war <laughs>
1: exactly it's this incredibly like um disproportionate amount of um, investment in, in using this card but it, it's all i needed so
0: and how sweet is it to have somebody re- refuse something and then show them a car then makes them to it. to me to anyway. It. But like, the classic move in Settlers-Katan is to mm-hmm. offer somebody such a crazy good deal mm-hmm. and then take it all back with Monopoly.
1: Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. See, it, it, and I, I think that for, for things like that, um, the design space is much more interesting in a game like that because you don't know that somebody has Monopoly. You don't know that they can be making this really good trade with you that seems too good to be true and then they just yoink it all back. So, um, Now to make that digital,
0: Mm-hmm. What do you think about just having a board game that is basically a tablet? A tablet that only plays one board game. You put it on the table. Yeah. It has all the pieces and you just use your finger and you drag things around. It keeps track of everything for you. Yeah. However, but... how would you then look at the cards? How would you keep that exactly. secret? Exactly.
1: It doesn't work super well. Um, there's a, a game like a, 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 a come on. digital version of the game Risk. Mm -hmm. And Risk is also a game with hidden information. Um, Not as many people might be familiar, but every time you conquer a territory in Risk, you are awarded with a card that has one of three symbols on it. It will either have the symbol of a soldier, uh, uh, a horse, like a a mounted soldier, or a cannon. And if you get one of each or three of a kind, you can cash it in to get bonus troops. And therefore, um, if you have three... Cards, you could already be ready to cash in bonus troops, or you might have to wait until you get up to five cards, at which point it's guaranteed that the next card you get is going to get you a a match and therefore a bonus set of troops. So the way that this board game, uh, digital version of the board game decided to do that was, oh, hang on, Gabriel is about to get his card. Everyone else look away. Oh, that's not going to work. No, it really isn't. So here we have another another strength of um card games versus uh digital games is the idea of hidden information. Um where where basically the only other way you could do it was uh the sort of example we brought up earlier where like everyone has their own little digital version of Settlers Catan on their phone. Right. And then that's your hand of cards.
0: Yeah, that's your viewpoint on yeah. it. that's your little window to it. You have your hidden information, you can also see the shared information. That, in that sense, yeah you wouldn't need a full screen to play because mm-hmm. yeah. you'd be playing multiplayer online but still together
1: yeah so there there's a lot of games that are kind of ruined by like trying to um make it all work on a single screen, um where partitioning the screen doesn't even help in that sense because you can just look at c screen looker yeah it, it's it's one of those things that um you know the the Wii U with its like second screen. Um, create a lot of amazing asymmetrical experiences just because you have a different view uh, viewpoint on your uh, tablet screen than everyone else does on their uh, larger screen. Um, but there weren't ever, at least there are no games that I'm familiar with that ever made use of, like, two Wii U gamepads, even though the system technically supports two, um, to try and replicate the feeling of, like, each player has one hand of cards and... Um, the closest thing you could have is it, at least it's easier to keep hidden information on a handheld screen like that, and then you can sort of like pass the, the tablet screen around. Um, there might have been some games that were like that, but again, I'm not particularly familiar with any.
0: You could, in a sense, you could play a board game mm-hmm. like Settlers of Catan. This is sort of borrowing what it said, what the problem we talked about with digital risk, saying don't look. Yeah. If we play Settlers of Catan on one phone, and I said pass the phone to Gabriel yeah. in five, four, three, two, one, and yeah. then when Gabriel's ready, press the button, and then it reveals your hand. Yeah, and you could do it that way, or sort of like opens and shuts the hidden information, and then you pass it off to somebody.
1: Yeah, exactly. The, that sort of like pass and play kind of thing. Uh, it works reasonably well until you have interrupts. Because exactly. remember how right. I was mentioning, like, if if everyone is trying to play on this one device, then it's like, you do something. It's like, pass the phone to Gabriel so that he can um, maybe do something about this. And then it's like, okay, pass the phone to Matthew so he can maybe do something about this. And you, you end up um, fragmenting and really slowing down the game experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so, again, that's something that just works better in physical space than in digital space.
0: Or if everybody had their own device, then you could do it as well.
1: Yeah, but again, even if everyone has their own device, you still have to like pop up this window every time someone does something that says, do you react to this? And everyone has to like tap no on their phone within like some time window. Well,
0: you would have to do it uh, in real time so that if, I mean, we're all sitting in the same room. Yeah. And if I see you talking to Jenny mm. and you're talking about, and then right before you guys press the button, I could press mm. my interrupt button. And as long as it's handled in retail, real time, then I could be like, for example, play Monopoly right, and grab all of that sheep.
1: Yeah. But you still have to allow for some time window within which someone makes a move and someone else responds to it so whereas some of these um things would resolve immediately you might have to allow for like at least like a 5 second window within which you make a move and then someone sure. else has an opportunity to respond to it so it's it's not an ideal way of getting around it and again it's something that if you're designing that kind of game it should just be a board game. You shouldn't be trying to make something work in a digital space that was really designed to work in a board game or vice versa. There's tons of things that, as I said, with like anything that involves a lot of number crunching, it works much better when you play it with a digital interface than if you're playing it in a board game setting.
0: Yeah, and we see that with lots of types of media and we're going to be seeing that with um, the rise of VR is mm-hmm. that you can adopt, you know, older style games and put them into VR, but it's really exciting to see What are you going to do in VR
1: that you could only do in VR? Yeah. So I think um, at about here, we're going to advance our discussion to be uh, talking about uh, board games, which will sort of continue some of the things that we've touched on here with the idea of like the interrupting your opponent's turn.
0: And by board games, you mean card games. Yep. All right. That was this episode all about board games. I was with your host, Matt. You can find me at GameThinkTalk
1: on Twitter. And you can follow me on Twitter at Blue Screen Pro or my website bluescreenproductions dot com, where you can submit feedback that we will perhaps answer, uh, discuss on the show. If you are, have we had any yet?
0: No. All right. The first person that gets in, they will be in, the, enshrined in the Hall of Fame, the Hall of Fameology. Sounds good. Bye for now. Happy rolling.